Welcome to West Virginia and Commonplace. It's not very often that uh, I have on the show someone that is actually from the area I'm from in Virginia. Everybody knows that the show is called West Virginia and Commonplace, but I have with me today Cindy Burns. Cindy Burns is here to talk to us about an array of things. I'm not going to say anything about exactly what she's here for because I'm going to pass that along to her. So Cindy, please introduce yourself. And then the burning question that everyone has, who is Cindy Burns and why are you here today? Well, I am Cindy Burns and I'm here today to talk about being a widow. Uh, the pitfalls, the actual, there are benefits to being a widow in, in the long term and um, everything in between. I am a life coach for widows. Okay. Now, obviously, tra tragedy struck. Uh, you lost your husband, correct? Yes. And lung cancer. Lung cancer. Sorry to hear that. Thank you. And in that moment, you have children, you have a bunch of people around you that depend on you. So you have to pivot. What were your immediate feelings? Like, I understand, like, I, I lost my mother. Um, I lost someone that, um, that I was involved with. She died also. So I know it's just, to me, it was like a numbing feeling. So what were your immediate feelings? Immediate feelings at the very moment it happened was um, he died very peacefully. He okay. opened his eyes. He'd been in like a coma for sub, um, probably about a week. He um, opened his eyes slowly. He looked me right in the eye and then closed his eyes and he was gone. So I thought that was, that was a, a nice moment. So I felt peace and I felt relief because he had been sick since uh, mid-May and hadn't been home at all during that time. He died in the hospital, unfortunately. But I, it was relief because I knew he wasn't hurting anymore. And um, one of the things, he had pneumonia the entire time. They oh. couldn't get rid of the pneumonia because the cancer was in the way. And it just, it was bad. So he wasn't coughing anymore. He didn't have a fever anymore, you know. So okay. it was, it was relief. All right. Now, the question that I have, because this is the thing that uh, me and other people that and just like you were dealing with grief and all that stuff. How did you process the day after? Because the day, the day after, after I was numb. Yeah, And it was like I was cold, like and I couldn't. No one could talk to me that day. I just was alone and I just had to be alone. Yeah. So I spent the day in my office, which is a tiny little room in the house, while um, my husband's sisters, they drove in from Florida and New York. And uh, while well, they cleaned my house and took care of everything in the house. Mm -hmm. so. Okay. So how long um, from your morning process, morning process, did you uh, become collective again? Like, how did you regroup? Like, how long did it take you to regroup? Well, I was kind of thrown into it. My, we have six sons together. Whoa, six. Yes. And the youngest was um, going to be, he was getting ready to start his senior year of high school. So the others were all grown. And the fifth oldest, who was in the army, called me and told me he was getting married. I didn't even know he for sure he was dating someone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and because I thought they'd broken up. But he said he was getting married um, the end of October. And I said, I'll be there. And he never said, he said, you don't have to. And I said, I want to. He was only my second son to get married. So 
And I actually had enough from the small life insurance policies he had to fly everybody out there. So (laughs) it was, it was an, this is a story for another time. It was an interesting thing. And then in March, they had a baby. So I went back out and helped them with the baby. Two months after that, two, two or three months after that, um, he was diagnosed with cancer. So I went back to Colorado and um, pretty much just took care of the baby while they took care of my son so that he didn't have to worry about her. His wife didn't have to worry about my granddaughter. And it was really a nice bonding time with her. But it was, it was kind of, oh, what's the word? Unreal. You know, I just didn't, surreal, I think is the word I'm looking for. I was like, Okay, I, you know, I, I just, I didn't have time to truly mourn him until, oh, about seven years had passed because I was so busy with other sons who needed help and whatever. I'm, I'm the kind of person I drop everything and go to you when you need help. So I did that a lot. <laughs> and when I finally settled in at home, I was retired. I had no clue what was going on in my life. And that's when the, the true impact of it all hit me. And I started questioning you know, who I was anymore. I'm not a wife. You know, and now I'm not a mother. They, you know, they were all settled and everything. Everybody was healthy and it was all good. So what's, you know, what's my purpose now? And that was, a, that. other than losing him initially, that was the hardest time. Okay. And um, after you get through uh, portions of the healing process, because we never fully heal, uh, we both know yes. that, it, it's always, uh, it's stairs, you keep going upstairs, and you just don't look back because it's a ponytail that needs to stay behind you. You form Finding Purpose Life Coaching. Um, and I understand the intent behind it because you just explained it. But what was its purpose? Like, what was the the self-healing purpose of this for you? The reason I started it was because I didn't want other widows to have to go through this. And I didn't know any other widows. So everything was, you know, new to me. I didn't have anybody to compare what I was feeling to. I didn't have anybody to really commiserate with what I was going through who understood it. And I didn't want anybody else to feel alone. And that was, that was my main reason for starting it. Yeah. Okay. Now um, to get a little bit deeper, um, when people offer services to people and to uh, help people to get emotionally stable, I always like to ask this question. And uh, this question is deep to me because what type of self-care did you take for yourself to be able to provide yourself to the world? That right there. Um, in any interview or anything I do, that sets a tone for how people can embrace you because if they know what type of self-care you took and along with the way that you help them and aid them in getting their lives uh, to a certain accord, that helps them more than anything initially. Yeah, I, I definitely now believe in self-care. At the time, you know, nobody was talking about self-care you know, two years back. And um, I guess my self-care 
included eating as much chocolate as I could. <laughs> <laughs> and I gained quite a bit of weight. So now my self-care is I've done a sugar detox and kicked sugar out of the house. And I have lost 60 pounds so far. Congratulations. So that, that's part of my self-care. And drinking water and getting enough sleep, not staying in bed all day, um, making sure I have clean clothes, making sure I eat properly. You know, it's just setting things in motion for me to have a good day. I like everything. I like to be able to start off with a good day. So I've had a good night's sleep. I've got clean clothes to put on. I've got um, yeah, my water bottle ready. I always have it with me. And I'm not as good about eating breakfast as I should be, but I start my day off, you know, with prayer and sometimes a little meditation, and then I'm ready to face the day. Okay, and that's what people need to hear because everybody thinks that, you know, um, when you're someone that helps everybody, they don't know how you take care of yourself. And that's one thing that always gets yeah. misconstrued. People think that everybody are fortified and built like Fort Knox and nothing can break them down. So um, taking a little bit deeper in, into you um, for a few minutes, if you don't mind, Cindy, um, how do you handle the triggers now from previously? Because that's one thing like, uh, you know, you can be in weird spaces sometimes. Like I can be in certain cities and, and, and there and certain things will, will just trigger me and, I, and I'm just froze for a little bit. But I, over time, you know, we, we know how to deal with that stuff. But initially, certain things that I just couldn't deal with, I just avoided them. Every time is different. Every year is different. Fourth of July is a bad time for me for many reasons. Um, partly because of my husband, partly because my father was diagnosed with cancer. It, they died 10 years apart on the same day. Oh. My, my father died, it would be 21 years ago on August 2nd, and then my husband died 10 years after that on August 2nd. So that's a trigger. Um, some years, I'm okay, especially if we don't talk about it a lot. You know, you just let the day go. Some years, it's horrible, and I just kind of stay in bed and play on my phone all day. Um, this year, I'm not staying in bed and playing on the phone. I'm launching my membership on that day in memory of Dan. And some years Christmas is fine and some years not so much. And I think the not so much also comes from my kids are all older. I don't have grandchildren that live near me, you know, so I don't have that Christmas spirit of have, watching them open their gifts and things. So I think that would have come anyway. Dan and I were starting to feel that kind of like, why bother decorating? <laughs> but sometimes it's easier, sometimes it's not. Anniversaries, different things, or just um, hearing something that he used to say that catches me off guard. I can't think of an example right now, but you know, they're just, oh, he used to like to say per se a lot. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I worked that into almost every conversation. And now when I hear somebody say it, I kind of cringe because I didn't like it when he said it. <laughs> <laughs> but my family, my sons and I especially, and my brothers, we all have a dark sense of humor. And 
it comes out in very strange ways and very inopportune moments. Mm. So, but having having a sense of humor really does help a lot. And eases the load. So yes. let's dive into this. Finding Purpose Life Coaching. What services will you be offering and uh, what is included in the membership? Well, the full name is Founding, Finding Purpose Life Coaching for Widows. What is, okay. I, I will do one-on-one coaching for widowers, for gentlemen, but not in the membership because number one, I don't really know the male mindset around grief as well as I know the female mindset. Um, So the membership, I, like I said, I do one-on-one coaching where I, you know, they talk, they talk to me mostly and I guide them to help them find things that will work for them to help them through it. In the membership, we're going to do that as a group, as a membership. And it, so there's definitely a huge community aspect of it where nobody's forced to, you know, they don't have to write in, you know, post on the page. They don't have to participate in the Zoom calls. You know, they can just sit there and be silent and listen to everybody else. But there will be um, some kind of form of either a live um, Facebook Live, a Zoom call, or a recorded message from me every week. There will be a path that we're going to follow. And for new, if new members come in along the way, they can start at the beginning and the people who've been there already can help them along. So I'm not going to say, oh, yeah, you, you know, you've got to wait six months till I run this again. Because when you need somebody, you need them. Yes. So it's going to be an open membership and there will be homework, but it won't kill you. <laughs> <laughs> you won't, you don't have to stay up late studying for exams because there won't be any. Okay. Um, and at the end of every month, I'm going to do a girls night in where it's, we're going to do a zoom call. That's just for the fun of it. You know, just we'll play stupid games and just you know relax and kick back okay um so a deeper question i want to ask you um with your coaching approach to helping people um what what is going to actually like be your your mission statement with that are you going to preach a statement or not preach but are you going to um profess um a statement of stability or what's the statement that you're going to try to help these uh, widows with I wish I'd known that. I wrote my mission statement last week, and now I don't know where it is. (laughs) But um, basically, it's to help women, help widows find their place in this new life that they're forced into, and to help to guide them through grief to that place. So I am also I'm certified as a life purpose coach and as a happiness coach. So I think those two really go hand in hand because once you know your life, life's purpose, you're new. we have many purposes throughout our lives. So it may not be your life's purpose, but it's your purpose for now. And once you know that and you work towards that, then you're happy because you have a goal, you know what you're doing, you know why you're doing it. And that's, that's been my case. So um, 
in preparation to help people, um, which one do you prescribe to? Do you prescribe to the terminology of mental maintenance or mental checkup? Mental maintenance uh, to me is always is, is better than a checkup. Uh, once people get to a good place, because that maintenance, you're going to continuously do it. A checkup, you're going to only check the things that work for you. You're not going to try to overcome anything else. So do you prefer mental maintenance over mental checkup or? I like emotional maintenance. Oh, okay. yeah, actually emotional growth okay. and then maintenance. Because the growth has to come, the, the knowing your self-worth, the gaining confidence that you can be on your own. So many widows are saying, you know, oh, I can't do these things. I don't know how to do it. My husband always did these. What am I going to do now? If you have the confidence, you either have the confidence to try it for yourself or to find somebody who will, you know, especially if you, if your husband was a handyman. <laughs> so, and not just that, but your finances. In fact, my live today was about um, finances and I'm, I'm going to have an expert on various things I'm going to try to get one for every month and I think one of the first ones I'm going to have is a financial expert because that's a big thing for a lot of widows initially by surprise and, yeah. and life throws you they start so um on this show we pay homage to journalistic integrity uh there was a news magazine when I grew up uh on Friday nights it's called 2020 it had John Stossel on there it had Diane Sawyer but it had Probably the greatest interviewer ever. Barbara Walters on there. Oh, yeah. So what we do on these episodes that we record, um, we do some deeper interpersonal questions. We get a little bit deeper with you, Cindy. And um, I think it's your time to go on this ride. So if you wouldn't mind, we're about to start these <laughs> 2020 questions. And, and the thing about these are it makes you a little bit more personable to the audience. Um, and it it's going to give a growth uh, from everything you said so it's going to bridge everything together when we do these questions. So starting off real fast, um, you have lived through a tragedy. You have risen just like the Phoenix and you've come back. Um, and we all have minor setbacks in between here and there since that time. What would be the first initial bit of advice that you would give to a widow after the dust has settled. And I mean, you know, like that month, the month after, because we did the day after, but we didn't do the month after. Because the month after, to me, that's the hardest time because you've got to figure out. That's when everybody goes home and back to their normal yes. lives. My advice would be to reach out to those people. Too many women have told me, all my friends are gone. You know, they've, they've all gone on to their own lives and they don't call me and they don't invite me out to lunch or whatever anymore. And I kind of tell them as gently as I can, the phone works both ways. <laughs> and you, you need to, if you're feeling lonely, if you're feeling like you want some company and you're ready for that, then call them, invite them for lunch, ask them to a movie, you know, reach out to your friends. That's, that's, take advantage of, you know, right away, everybody says, what can I do for you? Call me if you need anything. But you don't know what you need in the first couple of weeks. It's like the next month or so, you start to realize, okay, I need somebody to talk to. Pick a friend who knows that you're probably going to sit there and 
you know, talk about your husband the entire time and doesn't care. If that doesn't work, talk to a minister or priest, you know, somebody who will be an ear for you. Join a, um, a community grief share type of place. You know, just get, I, I really think that surrounding yourself with other people really does help. Okay. Now, a little bit deeper, uh, you launch your membership and everything is going great. And you have a moment, like you, you stop in time somewhere, something happens and it triggers you. How are you going to be prepared to take care of the masses along with taking care of yourself? And the reason I ask this is because that dynamic, that's the hardest thing uh, for any of us to, to, to give an answer to. My answer would be, I'm going to have to take, a, take time like always, take care of myself at a moment here and there, but I'll still be able to continue. So what is your answer to that question? How are you going to take care of yourself? Well, that's kind of um, the way I operate now is, you know, I make sure I have time for myself every day. I listen to a lot of audio books and they're silly, stupid audio books. They're not self-help ones at all. They're not great literature, but they're, they relax me. And that's why I do them. Um, so that's, that's my guilty pleasure, I guess. But I also have a lot of things automated in the membership, or I will be, <laughs> they will be. And so that takes a lot of pressure off of me too. You know, when you schedule things ahead of time and they go off without a hitch. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I've taken that into consideration because I have multiple health issues. So this, you know, I, I do like sometimes I need to take an entire day. So they'll be automated. Okay. So or I explained, or I explained to my audience what's going on. And I think most of them would understand too. And that's a great uh, ingenuity of our time automation. I thank you for that answer because some people think that you have to be wrapped up and have your notifications on all the time to take care of stuff. No, automation was built to help us still live our normal life outside of this augmented reality. Now, not saying augmented reality in the sense of what you're doing, but just, right. you know, the social media or the metaverse, whatever everybody's saying. So let's go a little bit into the future. Uh, this question right here is a bit of a role-playing question. Um, so you're successful. Everyone is going to have a success no matter how we measure it and how we do it. Uh, with success, you, you really can't put a measurement on it. And I always tell people, your success is not my success, but your success could be someone else's success while I'm watching. So you get to the point where it's time to, to do this infamous TED Talk. The TED Talk is something that everyone achieves uh, at some point or get, gets involved in some type of TED Talk to talk about their experience and what they do. What is the first statement you make at your TED Talk? Your TED Talk, we're going to just foreplay. I mean, I, I mean, not foreplay. We're going <laughs> to role play. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll definitely edit that out. Yes. Well, role, role, yeah, role play um, is you're at the University of Virginia, prestigious place, and you are giving a speech. Two widows. Oh, two widows. Okay. Two widows. What is your TED talk about? What is that first sentence you say to them? Being a widow sucks, but you don't have to do it alone. Okay. Now, from that, that moment on, we'll just keep going up the mid-Atlantic. Yeah, you end up at George Mason University because that's Northern Virginia. Um, another prestigious college. We're almost on our way to D.C. You're George Mason, and um, 
a lady has joined your group and uh, she's been with you for a few months here and there. And she lets you know that you really helped her. Like you took her off of the edge, not saying from committing suicide or anything like that, but you, you got her to a place that helped her. How is that going to make you feel? And how are you going to continue to support people after that? Because here's the thing that I found with people um, that, you, that, that, you know, when you're a person that helps people, and we all know this because we all, all are helpers. It's not that the gratification makes us feel good, but at some point it gets intoxicating. It gets to a point where, you know, if we don't want to sound, I don't know, not narcissistic or anything, but gratification sometimes makes us a bad person. So when you, if you get to the point where there's uh, you get too much gratification and you feel yourself getting toxic in a weird way like that, how are you going to handle that? Getting to be too much of know-it-all kind of thing. Yes. Uh, I truly don't think that that will happen to me because that's just not who I am. I mean, I raised six kids, but I certainly am not an expert on being a mother. I know <laughs> a lot and I can tell you a lot, but. You know, I'm not, I'm not an expert. Um, in fact, I was asked to teach a parenting class when the kids were little, and I turned them, turned it down because I didn't think I was good enough. So I think gratification is good, but it's not really about me. It's about her, the woman who told me, you've helped me so much. And I would just, I'm getting goosebumps. <laughs> it would just fill my heart so much. You know, so much happiness for her that she's seeing an end, you know, a, a, the light at the end of the tunnel. Okay. Now, to finish this up, you make your way to Washington, D.C. Because uh, that's, you know, that's in the region right there. You're in D.C. Um, and you're asked to be part of a convention for widows. Um, and you're, what you have to present to people is the story of the day after, the month after, the three months after. And then the seven years after, what is your profound statement in the seven years after? In the seven years after? Well, for me, it was different than it is for many. And so I would just tell them that your journey is your journey. And no two journeys are the same. And there is no expiration date on grief. You can grieve your husband just as strongly after seven years as you did seven days. Hopefully it won't be 24 seven, but there will be moments when you just sit down and you cry and you wish he was there. And that's normal. And it's good to feel your feelings. Okay. Now, Cindy Burns, please let the audience know it's a little thing we do, the shameless plug. Would you please let everybody know where they can meet and reach you on social media um, in the best way to communicate with you, and then how to get involved with this membership. The best way to reach me is through um, my fate, my webpage, which is www.cindyjburns.com. And all my social links and everything, my email address, I think even my phone number, is down at the bottom of that page. And that's the easiest, easiest way to find me to begin with. Okay. And Cindy, I want to thank you for coming on um, West Virginia and Commonplace. And I know that it's very hard um, to give yourself to people when you've 
dealt with this type of tragedy. Um, so one thing that we do on the show um, in these type of episodes, I'll give you a little quick testimony because I just met you today. Um, we've corresponded, but uh, you seem like you've got a good heart. So here's my thing. It's very hard in this world to talk about your grief to other people. It's hard to quantify it or put a science to your tragedy. And, and in doing that, you were helping tons of people. Not a lot of people will do it. I would not personally do it. I closet what has happened to me and I keep it to myself. I have a select few that get in and not a lot that can come through because I don't think they can comprehend and understand what I'm going through. For you to be able to do that and to express it and to do what you do, um, I want you to have a lot of like a lot of gratitude, self-worth, and know that your self-esteem is probably one of the best self-esteems on earth because not a lot of people can do that. And the further and further you go in with your journey, um, the, there's no lessening of the load, never in this type of instance, but you'll just get a little bit of easement here and there in certain areas. And that's what we strive for in grief, tragedy, and things that happen like that. Um, there's no rhyme or reason to why why things happen. And we can't explain that. And for you to take the time from when it happened to now to decide that, hey, I'm ready to face this. Um, I'm ready to put this out here in the world. I'm ready to make sure other people don't have to do this alone. That is the portion that people forget in life. That is the translation of life that has disappeared. People don't understand that you don't have to do everything alone. Even I don't understand that. Um, I do things alone. So, you know, you being able to do that, that's something that is amazing. So uh, that's my testament to you there is that being a great person you are and trying to help and to convey to people that it's all right to hurt. It's all right to heal. All right to heal is the purpose that people fail to realize when they go through life. Like you said, taking care of everybody else before taking care of themselves. So I want to thank you for that. And lastly, is there anybody that you would like to give um, a dedication to? Um, obviously, there's someone really important that I know that you're going to give a dedication to because um, through what has happened to him, it has brought a new light to your life. Well, obviously, I'm dedicating all of this to my late husband, Daniel Burns. And I'll miss him forever but I can think of him now and smile instead of crying all the time. Okay. And I, ho I hope to bring other people, other women to that point. And that's the goal that we hope you achieve. Um, once again, this is JR. Um, I'm the host of West Virginia Commonplace. Cindy Burns has joined me on the show uh, today to talk about grief, being a widow, transferring being a widow into more with life coaching and building a purposeful um, coaching establishment to help widows. That has been the purpose of this episode. And I want everyone to check out all her social medias and um, just get involved with her, indulge what she has to offer you because not a lot of people are offering that. Um, so once again, it's JR and I am signing off.